Welcome to the REI Foundation Podcast, where we cover all the steps and strategies to make your real estate dreams a reality. Now your hosts, Jason and Peely. So do you fix and flip houses or invest in real estate or just want to get started doing so? Well, Alpha Funding has you covered with fast, flexible, and reliable service and rates starting as low as 8.99%. Fast closings, no tax documentation or bank statements required, no prepayment penalties, seasoning or minimum draw requirements. Alpha Funding, the softer side of hard money. To get yourself pre-approved today, go to alphafunding.com or call 732-657-2014. Well, hello again, and welcome to another edition of the Real Estate Investing Foundation podcast. Happy Wednesday. Psyched to have you guys. Thanks so much for checking us out and coming back. And of course, if you like what you hear, please go to iTunes. Give us a five-star ratings and reviews. It helps other people get out there and find the same valuable information you're finding today. And we are psyched to have Chad Gallagher on the show. Chad, how you doing? Doing great. Thanks so much for uh, having me. Well, psyched to have you. We've got a lot we're going to focus on. Before we do, here's a little more about Chad. Chad is Chief Investment Officer and CEO and founder of uh, Slate House Group Property Management Company. Slate House manages 4,000 units as a property management company across four states, which is Pennsylvania, Maryland, Virginia, and New Jersey. Uh, he's originally from Littitz, PA. Am I saying that correctly? Lids, but I uh, got the right okay, idea. Cool. Yeah. I'm almost there. And Chad graduated yeah. from University of Virginia with a systems engineering degree. He launched advertising.com mobile, which is now a hundred million dollar global advertising business and helped it eventually get sold to Verizon. And Chad specializes in using engineering principles to drive better returns for buy and hold investments and oversees Slatehouse implementation of ad tech principles across the business. Chad has personally led acquisitions of over 135 units as well. I think he even said over 200 units. But on this fact, Chad, we're psyched to have you. And so the question everybody's thinking, right? You go from this high tech, everything's tech, tech, tech. And you say, well, I'm going to jump into property management company, which can be one of the, uh, the more unforgiving businesses out there. What was the jump that you said, I'm going to jump into property management company? Yeah. So I mean, I'll tell you what happened. We, uh, we, we started investing ourselves. Uh, my business partner and I, <clears throat> it started out as a hobby, like probably a lot of people do. And uh, we started to accumulate some properties and decided, all right, it's time to hire a prime management company. And uh, him and I both had full-time jobs at the time. And so there were certain things we were looking for. We wanted something that, that kind of heavy on the tech side, understood where the world was going, um, could scale with us, not just scale units, but also scale territory because we, we knew we didn't want to just invest in kind of one town or one city. Sure. Uh, and then, I don't know, there was this third thing, which was just, we were hoping to find someone who I guess was like energetic and passionate about the space. And, and that's, that was the goal was find that company. Huh. And so we interviewed a bunch and we kind of struck out on the interviewing side. We just, we, we couldn't find anyone who met what, what we were looking for. Frankly, we just met a lot of companies who had been doing this for 30, 40 years you know, original founder still in place and they were still managing properties the same way you would have 10 years ago, maybe with an Excel doc, uh, paper leases, just a whole bunch of practices that we thought were kind of outdated. And so we asked other investors and they, they were having the same problem. And so we, we made what was actually a tough decision was to start our own property management company. Hmm. And uh, I'll be honest, I, I could never have imagined this, I mean, this was not the plan, right? I thought we might manage a couple hundred units, have a couple employees. Um, 
And it's just, I mean, I think what, what happened, and this happened sometimes in business was we didn't realize it, but we were hitting a chord that was a way bigger issue than what we realized. And, and that there was a huge market for what we were trying to create. And, uh, you know, look, it hasn't been easy. I mean, we work really hard and still are evolving every day, but uh, it's, it's been quite a journey. So I, I want to really focus on some of the tech stuff. I have to ask because I, I find a lot of investors, they, they get themselves in trouble because their way of basically choosing property management companies, they just find a property management company and hire them. No vetting, right? And they yeah. don't jump into that process. What are some of the core questions they have to be asking when they're coming upon a property management company if they're not dealing in your areas or, or you know, they're going to call you? What's some questions that you expect from them? Yeah, sure. I mean, I'll start with a couple, I guess. I mean, one is, and, and we're going to talk a lot about this, but uh, you know, I think you're crazy to not ask what kind of tech the property management company is using. And, and tech does not just mean your single backend database. It, you know, really kind of honing in on uh, if I have a problem, is there a tech system I can use to solve that, to, to put in a problem? Um, are you using technology and digital advertising to find tenants? Um, so look, I think tech is a big, a big one and spending a lot of time there, right? Of how do you use tech? Who's the one who's integrating the tech together? Have you ever built any homegrown tech? Um, so I think, you know, just because when you're choosing a prime management company, you're not, hopefully you're not just choosing one for the next six months, but you're choosing one who you can partner with for two, three, five, ten 10 years. And if you think about it, I mean, I just know we've been doing this about six years now. I mean, some of the tech that we use today literally didn't exist six years ago. But we've got a leadership team here who's constantly pushing the envelope to figure out how can we build or utilize new technology as it comes out. And so I think, I think that's a key question is understanding how people are kind of wired there mm -hmm. to understand not just where they sit today, but where that will um, go in a couple of years. Um, I think another key question is asking them if they've ever invested. Um, what's their own investment strategy? I just think to manage prop, it's really, really hard to be a private management company if you've never actually owned any real estate. Yeah, sure. I mean, it sounds kind of basic, but, um, but we see it all the time. Uh, and then I think understanding what I call kind of like the single point of failure. So, if my property manager quits tomorrow, who's managing my property, what happens next? And the reason I bring that up is we've been brought in a whole bunch of times when a company may have two property managers or three property managers and someone quits who kind of knew their business inside and out. And now it's like a disaster because there's no, there's no plan. And so just, I mean, I think the old school way of property management was to say, I want to hire Susan to be my prime manager and I'm going to double down on Susan and yeah. she's going to know everything about my property because Susan's amazing. And she, Susan knows, you know, uh, Baltimore, Maryland inside and out knows all the rules. And so she, and I, that's really scary because look at, in today's day and age, I don't care who you are there's just a lot of, a lot more movement of people across careers, movement of people in different cities. And so if you're basing your whole portfolio on Susan, that's really scary to me, as opposed to kind of basing it on like a, a company and a, uh, a, 
a backend tech and a way of doing things so that if Susan leaves, there's not this crisis in your business. Yeah, it's a plug and play, right? You have your processes in place that are the processes are set up. And it's to say, I think that goes with your evolution, right? You want to be able to have someone that's going to grow with us, you know, to the point that if you, you know, got another 100 or 200 units of a properties, well, I go to Slate House, they already have 4,000 units under management. So, you know, it's not like a big rip. You just say, okay, I got my systems in place. I don't have to go, you know, hire 5,000 people to just try and keep up with this owner who's buying properties. So that's right. That's yeah. right. Exactly. Absolutely. Now, looking at the tech side, you know, I, I, I'm super curious, right? Because even for our own properties, what are you utilizing today? What's been important for you to actively now find tenants, grow your tenant base, and just keep your properties occupied? Yeah. So, I mean, so company-wide, we use about 12 different technologies, um, about to implement 13 and 14 here this summer. So, huh. I, I, it's weird. There's not like a single bullet. I actually think the all the different texts kind of solve different needs and then they're integrated together. Um, I mean, to answer your, your specific question about finding tenants, I mean, I'm super lucky. My, my background in mobile advertising really helped. So, I mean, we basically formed the company saying, look, the average tenant is going to find a rental to, in today's day and age, not only online, but specifically on their phone. Right. And so, I mean, it, if you look at our site traffic, it's crazy we see probably 85% of our listing traffic coming from the, the smartphone device, either wow. Android or iPhone. Um, so, if, you know, so if you're on a laptop and you're trying to like work through user flow, it's like a complete waste of time. You know, you're hitting 15% of your audience, right? Um, and so all our user flow, all our marketing, everything is really geared right here. It's geared to the smartphone and how do we make it really easy for someone on their smartphone to find us, to find the rental, to easily submit an application, uh, to see the property right here. Uh, and so that, that, that's it. That's a key part is on the, the digital ad tech side is really nailing kind of the user flow. Um, and then I would say we've now got to a point with our tech. And again, it's not just one tech, it's probably four techs coming together, but somebody could on their phone, literally find a listing, click on the listing, schedule a showing all on their phone to see when we're available. They could go see it with a, a, a digital lockbox with us not even potentially being there, see it, go back on their phone, apply in a couple hours, and potentially us not be involved at all, back end screen it by our property manager couple hours later have an approved application again on their phone lease sent on their phone signed on their phone right and it sounds ridiculous but yeah. i mean that that's what the tenant wants to do i mean a lot of these many of our tenants don't even own a laptop and for sure don't want to go sign a paper lease at someone's office um and so i i think that's pretty cool and it I mean, it sounds really simple, but to make that happen, it's actually, it's actually a fair amount of work to make all sure. these different technologies put together. So do you, do you think in the future now that speed of process is going to be one of the most important factors of leasing? And if someone doesn't have to go through those steps of calling up, speaking with a person, meeting a person, they can just cut that out of the picture. That I, it's I do. Be I do. And also there's this huge shift. Some people in the industry, they think that, uh, I, mean, I mean, the average tenant who comes to us, they're looking to move in like a couple of days. <laughs> right. You know, so speed is crucial for them. I mean, 
I think this, I think a lot of our uh, owners and people in the marketplace think that like the average tenant's looking four to six months out. That's just not the reality, right? I mean, the reality is most people, and look, there's, there's some of that, but, but most people are looking for a lease to start in a couple of days, a week maybe. And, uh, you know, the idea of having to call someone or go to an office and then have that person call you back. I mean, our tenants just don't want to see that, right? They, you know, cause they're, cause they're the same people who are, who are buying their toilet paper on amazon.com, right? On their phone, you know, so they're kind of preconditioned to things should be available when I want them on my phone right now. And that, that's, that's how we're trying to structure our company. Are you doing anything in the tech side and in terms of rents with owners where you're able to have rents adjust systematically based on what you're seeing in the market? Or is there any, any use for that you see in the future? So, so I'll tell you one thing we've done. Not quite, we haven't quite done the automated uh, rent adjustments. There is one thing we've done that I think is kind of cool. We basically built our own algorithm that basically assi- uh, takes all of our in-house data that we have. I mean, 4,000 data points of what people are actually paying for a rental. And so we can start to understand, you know, in Philadelphia, same square footage, two bedrooms versus one bedroom, what's the difference in rent price? Or if I add central AC or a garage, if I had a garage to a townhouse, you know, in Allentown, Pennsylvania, what does that do to my rent price? Um, and so that's been really helpful because it allows us to on the fly. A lot of times owners are making decisions either on the buy side, what should I buy? Or even on new construction, should I, should I make this a two bedroom or a three bedroom? Should I add a garage? What's the garage worth to me? So we're able to like really hone that down and put, you know, I think very analytical metrics against what these things are worth, uh, which you know, before I really think people were mostly guessing, you know, yeah. they said, well, I mean, I've had, I've had owners before say, you know, well, I, I really value X, Y, or Z. And I tell them, look, the reality is the data shows that it, that's it pretty well got no value in the rent price. Uh, Interesting. Now for the analytics and for the data, let's say it's at a tech side and just the usability on the phone. Is that across all asset classes? Are you finding a trend more for, you know, class A properties versus class B or C or is it, or is there any differentiation there? No, it's, it's all, I mean, look, I, uh, you know, as you get into a class, you see more variables there, right? So there's more amenities. So you start having things like, garages, air conditioning, um, you know, a swimming pool at the apartment complex, you know, and then kind of like working your way down to, you know, C and D class is going to have usually less. And usually it's more about just number of bedrooms, bathrooms, square footage. Hmm. But the, the, the concept plays out the same, right? Because I mean, even in a, I mean, you know, we, we bought a, a, a 15 unit building that I would call probably C class. And we decided, look, these are one bedrooms. We're going to put a wall up because our data says I can get another $75 if this exact same apartment is a two bedroom instead of a one bedroom. And wow. once you know, it actually happened. <laughs> right. Um, so, so the concept works for all classes. It's just when you get into the A class, there's just more variables that you probably wouldn't see in the C class or D class, but it's the same, same concept. How do you think this is going to eliminate 
the need for property management services going forward with the integration of tech? Uh, I mean, look, I, it's really funny. I think the future property management company is a tech company, right? If you think about it, right? I mean, uh, 20 years ago, property management companies were in hundred percent service-based companies, right? And right now it's probably about 50, 50 of like half of what you do is tech and half of what you do is what you call like service, I guess. But I, I think it keeps heading down the tech road. I think you still need the property management company, right? Because the same way, I mean, Amazon is a tech company, but Amazon still has people who are ultimately doing things along the way. Your package is still being delivered by a person. So I think the future property management company looks more like Amazon than it does a restaurant, right? Yeah. You know, where it's really just people cooking things and, and, and doing that kind of stuff. Uh, but by the way, I still think, I mean, I think there's, I think the value of a property management company doesn't change. I mean, with good tech and good systems, the private management company just takes on more, right? So like I tell people all the time, the expectation of a private management company is actually pretty low and it's lower than what it should be. Mm-hmm. What, what our goal ultimately for the owner is to increase their net worth, pure and simple. That's our goal, right? And now how we do that depends on their goals and what they're trying to do. But I say that because if that owner of ours is about to go buy a, a building and I can feed him some data that maybe prevents him from buying it because it was going to be a bad buy and instead push him into something else that's a better buy, that's not a classic property management trait, right? That has nothing to do about collecting rent or fixing leaky faucets. And yet I could have maybe just made him more money by just helping guide his decision or maybe by connecting him to an off-market deal of a new construction project that he didn't know about. You know, I mean, we're about to do that for an owner. Over 15 years, that, that could put $3 million in his pockets in net value of that property. Uh, that ha- that's going to blow away probably anything I can do for him in terms of you know, collecting rent or increasing rents, right? So sure. I think that's the paradigm shift that's going to come is property management companies using more tech, but then taking on more and expectations increasing in the industry because some of these more difficult tasks are being replaced by tech that then allows the property management company to make more intellectual decisions that, that can really guide things for the owner. Yeah, what was coming up in my mind, it doesn't, it doesn't align really. But what I was thinking when I was talking about having the rent determinations fluctuate, I was thinking about like, you know, Airbnb smart pricing of some, some magnitude. It doesn't always work very well, but on that point, but even from the management side, like you still need cleaning crews. You still need people to be active and have people actually running that side. Although a lot of it's gone to like a digital platform. You're really not even always showing up the platform, even letting them into the property. You can have, you know. Yeah, or just the, the, there's always going to be the, the edge case where you need a human being to jump. You know, we had a property today that had a, um, a sinkhole in the, in the wow. backyard. Yeah. But not only is there a sinkhole, the sinkhole sits between, right between two yards. <laughs> so, it's, so it's like, there's like a weird, I mean, there's a lot going on here, right? One is, how, you know, how do you begin to solve the sinkhole problem? But then two, whose problem is it? Is it our, pro- is it our owner's problem or is it the neighbor's problem? You know, how fast does that problem have to be solved? Because if it has to be solved in a day or two, that's a very expensive problem. 
yeah. if we have a couple months, we can, you know, get some bids and think through the, you know, so there's something like that. I, I don't think tech ever, or at least not anytime soon is going to solve that problem. Right. But the right tech allows the humans to come over top of it and say, Whoa, let's slow down here. This has a high risk, high liability to it. Let's figure out what to do. Yeah. The numbers don't lie. You can make a qualified decision based on what you have. You're in areas that a lot of people will say are very difficult areas to find properties that, that make sense for, you know, a couple of reasons. And of course people are doing it so you can right now. And that said, what, what are some of the the key components from your owners? What, what makes sense for property management? Is there a size of property or, or, or a certain, um, is there certain criteria where, where you see it, that it makes sense to bring property management on? Alpha Funding Solutions offers creative financing tailored to your individual needs. Whether you're fixing, flipping distressed properties or building ground-up construction, Alpha offers flexible financing to get the job done. With no minimum draw requirements, no prepay penalties, and no seasoning requirements, borrowers can create a construction loan that best suits their individual needs. Everything at Alpha is done in-house from the sales force to underwriting, construction management, and draw payouts. The team at Alpha works as a unit to best serve their happy family of over 1,000 borrowers. Experience the alpha difference today. Visit www.alphafunding.com or call 732-657-2014. Again, that's alphafunding.com and the number is 732-657-2014. There's nothing to lose and everything to gain. Alpha Funding Solutions, the softer side of hard money. Not really. I mean, we, I mean, we manage situations where an owner has one property, a single family home to a hundred unit complex and everything in between. Um, look, I mean, I think there's value to managing your own property, but I think a, there's the time value of money and managing a property is, is takes a lot of work and a lot of time. And usually the high net worth individual can find better uses of their time than frankly managing a property. Um, so that's number one. And, uh, and then number two, I think there's just like a skill set thing with managing a property. I think that, look, I've met tons of owners, whether we manage them or not, who are wired in the right way to be a killer property manager. They're super organized. They're super detail oriented. They like getting in the weeds. They understand home maintenance. They understand home construction. They understand digital advertising and leasing. Honestly, it's a small percentage of owners, but there are people who I think fit that. But then I see a lot of other owners who could do it, but I just say, look, if we can free up their time to go find the next deal, you know, again, kind of getting back to increasing net worth, do what you're good at and be killer at it. Uh, You know, finding that next deal is, is typically, if you do it right, going to net you more money than what you're going to pay a property manager to go find a tenant or, you know, if that makes sense. What's something you're working on your business right now to, to improve or to grow out? Yeah. I mean, so a couple things, uh, one maintenance, uh, both coordination and decreasing costs is a really complicated intellectual topic. Uh, at, at first glance, it's not that complicated, right? Leaky faucet, go hire a plumber, get it fixed, right? 
But at scale, it starts getting interesting of how do we get that leaky faucet fixed for 10% less? Is there a way we can do that? Hmm. Right? Or how can we avoid the apartment turn costing three grand and get it down to two and using leverage and buying power and a combination of some contractors and employees. So I think there's a lot to that. Uh, but I think that that's like a big topic right now internally is getting things done quickly and cheaply. Uh, and again, it, it sounds really simple, but when you start actually playing it through, it's actually, there's a lot to it and it's not super straightforward. And that's partially because there's just so much that can go wrong in a house. You know, my sinkhole example, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not sure we've got anyone who's a professional sinkhole repair guy, right? So like, what, that, that edge case can kill someone's profits for five years if you're not careful. And, uh, and have some kind of mechanism for how to handle that. So I think that's one. Um, the other big one that I'm really interested in is kind of uh, geographic expansion. So I think, look, we've spent six years building out systems. We cover four states today, but I wouldn't be surprised if that looks like more like 10 states in the next year or two, um, where for the first time ever starting to actually even acquire other private management companies that you know, have a nice little business going, but the, the leadership team is just not interested anymore, but maybe there's a, still a rock solid team there that does want to stay or for whatever reason they want to kind of get out. Um, you know, there's just, there's not a great market to sell a property management company that's managing two, three, 400 units. And so we think there's a play there in that our systems can travel, right? Sure. Uh, you kind of plug and play tech systems on top of, local team and uh we, we think there's something there so there's probably the two big ticket items one lowering maintenance time and cost when it's like an ongoing complicated tricky item and then how do you be able to expand maybe acquire some teams or just expand naturally to other regions because uh, frankly we have a lot of investors who are who are looking for quality property management companies in towns that you know, maybe there isn't really a, a, a tech forward primate. Would you, would your focus on going into a new state be more aligned with an investor who's currently there looking for you to, to come service the area or, or is there certain areas that certain statistics or characteristics of an area that is going to draw you to the next one? Yeah, I'd say it's, there's, it's really more certain things we wouldn't do. And that is, um, we just, we believe in density. Right. So we think that like for our model to be a great, and we, you know, our expectation is to be a great product management company to be that in an area we want to be managing five, 600 units, at least upwards, probably a thousand units, not right away, but, but be able to get there in, in a year or two. And yeah. so because of that, a super rural area where in a 40 minute, half hour, 40 minute drive, there's just not that density of population it's really tough. And I'll tell you, there's something I've found. And it's a good lesson for all investors. If you're going to invest in rural areas in particular, I think it's fine to invest in a city that you don't live in. I know you do some of this, you invest in different States. And I think that's totally reasonable. I think what's really tough is to invest in a rural area that you're not local to. And I don't know if you've ever done that, but we've had some, some, some tough experiences where we've found that some of these rural communities are a bit insulated and, and don't always play well with others, if that makes any sense. Sure. And, uh, and kind of see the, the big 
real estate company coming in and, and push it away. So I think outside of super rural, I, I think we're, we're super open to things that make sense for us. And we kind of, we don't jump at everything, but we do have a discussion about everything to see. Yeah, we, we make sure that we have an MSA that's got at least 250,000 people, right? We don't want something that's got 3,000 go. people and I got a hundred unit building and my hundred unit building's making up like 10% of the people living there. And I'm just like, oh, well, I hope I got, you know, it yeah. would never make sense. And I, I, I agree wholeheartedly that the rural aspect of it, it just, it's not for me. There's other hey, people- by the way, I think you can make money in rural places. You just darn well better have connections there yeah. or live there or have lived there. Um, because if you hadn't done any of those, uh, it could be tough. Yeah, <laughs> so. I absolutely agree. And I, I be, before I let you go, it'd be hard to focus. But I don't ask you, being that you're structured, you're focused, what, what are some of the key things to having a successful business? What, what are some of the key components to your day that make you be able to have a very focused business like you do? That's a tough one, uh, especially in, in this world. I mean, I think day-to-day at Slate House is uh it's tricky because even if you come into the day saying i'm gonna be focused on this you know if, if there's a giant sinkhole like <laughs> someone's gotta solve it right and, yep. and and so you almost have to i mean so i've started doing something now uh, it's kind of crazy i pretty well don't schedule any meetings on mondays because what we've found in this business is people come out of the weekends and then Mondays are when we catch a lot of questions, complaints, issues, usually stemming from tenants, but even sometimes owners. And so I try to keep my Mondays free and flexible. And by the way, that means sometimes Monday goes by and everything's fine, but allows me the freedom to kind of uh, move around if needed, if something has come up that is a, is a problem that, that's needed. Um, so that's, that's kind of a small little, little thing I would say. Uh, the other thing we started doing on the organization side that I really suggest for anyone, we have a ticketing system. And so, you know, I've just found that, uh, you know, phone and email and texting and calling are just not great ways to organize your life hmm. and, and organize a company because you open the email and you, you know, you say, I'm going to remember to do it, but, you know, humans are humans and they're not going to be hundred percent. So we've tried to move towards like a ticketing system where if something needs to be done, a ticket is created and assigned and there's an owner, a specific owner of the ticket. And then, you know, every couple of days we're checking for out, outstanding tickets that basically are overdue. And it, it's weird. It's one of these things that sounds just so simple. Um, but it's basically revolutionized our business because, uh, you know, if somebody, if tragedy strikes, right, somebody all of a sudden gets really sick and they're out of the office for three days, someone else can jump into their tickets. If Yeah, uh, Marty has four outstanding tickets that he, he's out sick or something happened, you know, you know, jump, something. Oh, jump okay. right into someone's it. Someone's got to yeah. jump on Marty's tickets. Yeah. Right. Whereas before, I mean, you'd have to jump into Marty's brain. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, you know, or you have a call with him and he's like, ah, oh, yeah, I, I got to get Jimmy's inspection done. And it's just not ideal, right? So now, you jump in the tickets and anyone, any of our leaders can jump in and start resolving tickets. If someone's not around, if, if something else has happened, if someone's got really busy, uh, oh, I, so I love think that. It's really helps us software the, for that, that you use or what, what do you use? Yeah, we use a uh, tech called fresh desk. Hmm. Um, it's a, uh, you know, kind of an in- industry leading, I would say it's not meant for property management. It's a, uh, 
it's a, I don't know. I mean, it's meant, you know, just a, a tech company that services all sorts of service-based entities. Sure. And uh, it's interesting. I mean, in its simplicity is what makes it great because once a ticket's been created, it, it, it can't go anywhere, you know? Until it's completed uh, and gets knocked yeah. off, right? How cool. Yeah. Yeah. Someone yeah. out there is going to just love you for that. That might, might even be me because that's a great, that's a great. Uh. So that's awesome. <laughs> Good, man. Thank you for that. Cool. Yeah. What, what is, uh, do you, do you have a company motto or something that you've built out? And I, I know you talked about, you know, building out the, the owner's net worth, but what, what is it that stands behind State House that makes it so successful? Yeah. So, I mean, our tagline is a modern real estate company, which uh, it's funny, doesn't sound that differentiating, but if you think about real estate companies, there just aren't that many that are trying to be modern and tech focused. And so I think, um, you know, that's, that's, that's part of it. And then when we hire new people, we had these things called guide rails and there are things that are really passionate to my business partner and I, and, we, pay, we probably will say like, these are non-negotiable items and it's everything from like, you know, when we interview someone, we ask them to pull up their smartphone and ask them what are their favorite apps on their smartphone. Interesting. Now, can you imagine like, that's a plumber, you know, imagine being a plumber in an interview and somebody asking you to pull out your smartphone and invariably we'll have people who, I mean, it's going to blow you away, but I bet one in five candidates pulls out a, a, a flip phone. <laughs> you know, yeah. again, this is a certain, this is your maintenance guy. Right. Yeah. Um, but in our world, you can't be hired at Slate house. If you have a flip phone, it doesn't, you, you can't happen. Right. And, and, uh, you know, a, 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 a 2002 Blackberry doesn't work either. Right. So, um, I think like really permeating that through the whole culture and saying, this is what's important. That's how we're going to hire people. And I would rather someone who's maybe a little uh, newer to the industry, mm-hmm. but, by, but understands tech, I'll, I'll take that because I can teach them property management. I can teach them real estate. It's really hard to do the opposite. The person who is really tech adverse, it's really hard for me to teach that person tech is what I found. I found that uh, we have our, our most successful candidates are ones who kind of buy into our culture and we can teach them the nitty gritty of real estate. The reverse, there are folks who've joined us who have had really successful real estate careers in other companies who last two weeks here wow. and just, just can't handle the, um, it's not just the tech, it's also the, 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 the pace at which we're rolling out. I mean, we'll probably roll out a new feature in our company every like two or three weeks, at least once a month, but it's not probably every two, three weeks. So if you're not capable of understanding new features and adopting to it, and it takes you too long to learn, unfortunately, you just don't work. This isn't the right yeah, company for you. I love it. And two more questions for you before we let you go. And thank you so much for your time. If you, you've worked with you know, over 4,000 units, you, you've come upon a lot of investors. What separates, if there's someone looking to start today, what, what's, what's, what separates the ones who really make and really make this into a career business to the ones that just aren't able to get it off the ground? What, what do you see as a common trait? A, a couple things. Um, one, you got to get started. It sounds, yeah. sounds ridiculous. sounds super like, I mean, of course. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll meet people who literally for a year, they'll be coming to a meetup. And every time I meet them, they say, yeah, I want to get rolling. And a year later, they still want to get rolling. And, you know, like anything in life, you got to start iterating and you got to start learning. Um, 
in this business to learn, you have to start doing and you have to start actually, I don't care if it's a $40,000 single family home, B client, whatever. You got to start actually figuring out a way to buy something and make it happen. Yep. Um, so that's one. Um, two is, man, I, I find our most successful owners, honestly, they're super passionate and it's not that they love real estate necessarily, um, but it is that they're willing to invest the time in it. And I think they're kind of two different things, right? I mean, I think, and a lot of times they are the same. A lot of times you're willing to spend time on stuff you love, but I think it's like anything. If you want to get good at this, you, you got to be able to put time in. And if you're expecting to spend an hour a week on real estate and think you're going to build a massive investment portfolio, I think it's be tough. I mean, that's just my, that's just my honest answer is um, I think, you know, most people are willing to commit serious time, take away from Netflix and maybe other, I mean, that's what I did. Right. I mean, I, you know, took away other hobbies and things that I thought were distracting my, my life, my time and went all in on this. Uh, so those are a couple of things. I think the last thing I'll say is our most successful investors ultimately figure out what they're a little bit better at than other people and use that to their advantage. Huh. And, and there's not just one thing there, right? So that could be that you understand home maintenance at a level that other folks just don't. You really understand how homes are constructed. You can walk a property. So if that's the case, going out and buying things that need a lot of work, right? Distressed assets and hmm. fixing them up, but keeping those fixed costs down, you know, that, I've seen that work. Somebody who's got a more salesy personality who can go out and raise $5 million in a syndication and can go close a deal for an apartment complex because they meet the owner and the owner just likes them, right? Um, and I'm not even sure if a lot of those skill sets are real estate, right? I mean, a lot of those, I mean, I just met an owner. This is, this is, this is a true story. One of our larger owners he owns a turnkey uh, real estate business. He uh, was a top car sales salesman, right? And um, he said he came to real estate. He said his first year, he did 100 deals, 100 like flips and, and turnkey, like selling things in a turnkey. I was like, I mean, 100 deals is like jaw dropping, right? Yep. I mean, I, for you know, sure. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't really do flips, but I, that's a lot for anyone. And you're one that's like a, a crazy number. And, um, but he's like a killer sales guy. And so he was able to leverage his car sales salesmanship into this industry. And then I said, well, that makes sense. But like, how the heck did you know how to do the maintenance side? And he said, well, that's easy. I didn't know how to do car maintenance either, but I had a great mechanic who would take care of stuff. And so in this industry, he's got a great maintenance team and he says, I don't want anything to do. I'll overpay my maintenance team, but I'm going to go find more better deals than anyone else can. I thought that was like a really cool concept that um, I took with me, which was like, find what you're good at in whatever you do outside real estate and then leverage that for real estate. And then the stuff you're not good at, just, just find a team that complements you. Love it. That is an awesome point. That's great for everyone to listen to, myself included. Thanks so much for sharing that. And thank you so much for coming on the show. For everyone listening, uh, what's the best way to find out more about you and Slate House? 
Yeah, I mean, so, I mean, my email is a great starting point. Uh, it's chad, C-H-A-D, at slatehousegroup.com. So it's S-L-A-T-E, house, H-O-U-S-E, G-R-O-U-P.com. Um, yeah, you can also just find us at slatehousegroup.com. A uh, bunch of info about our private management company, uh, realtors who help investors uh, buy stuff. And then we actually just launched our own podcast called Real Estate Hackers. Awesome. Um, which uh, we launched that because we've got about a thousand investors now, uh, owners that we represent. And as you can imagine, a lot of them have some crazy stories that we wanted to tell. And so we're, uh, the podcast is really focused on both their stories, but the other big thing we're focused on is this intersection of tech and real estate. We think it's, uh, we really think the world is, of real estate is going to look a lot like how realist, how retail and all these other industries have moved into tech. And we think there's some really interesting stuff to gain from that. And the folks who lean into tech and real estate intersection are going to be the big winners in five years. The folks who don't, I, I don't think they have a business in five years. So I uh, love it. we want to tell those stories. Awesome. We'll have all that in the show notes. Chad, this has been awesome, man. Thanks so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is great. Awesome. Well, this is Jason with the Real Estate Investing Foundation Podcast. Huge thank you to Chad Gallagher and thank you to all the listeners out there. Of course, if you're listening to iTunes, you can find us on YouTube. If you're out there on YouTube, you can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, all the other platforms out there. We're there. So again, thank you so much for listening. Huge thank you to Chad Gallagher. Have a great day. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. See you guys. Thanks for tuning into the REI Foundation Podcast. Check back next time for more awesome tips and strategies to launch your new you in real estate.